0: things real quick, and then I want to pray together as we begin our time in God's Word. First of all, I wanted to mention that um, my message today is a little bit of a sensitive topic. It, usually I preach G-rated or PG-rated messages. Today is probably going to be a little bit PG-13, uh, just so all of you parents are aware. And um, also I wanted to mention Ray has a brief announcement from the deacons at the close of our service, and Ray, don't let me forget you wave at me, okay? You come to the front at the end, okay? So we won't forget. But right now, we just want to bow and pray together and ask God's blessing on our time in His Word. Would you bow with me, just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed at this time? We just want to give every, everyone a, a moment just to calm your heart and focus on the Lord. Would you worship Him right now? Would you tell God... How much you love him. And that you are, how thankful you are to be a child of his. And as we sing about this morning, one day he will come and receive us to himself and we will be forever with the Lord. Can you thank God for that? Can you praise him for that promise that brings such confidence and hope to our lives? Precious Father, Father, As a church of Jesus Christ, we gather today to open your word, and we ask now that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart, that we would truly learn and grow to be a faithful church of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would speak to all of us as we open your word together. We pray this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to turn in our Bible. You know, I I spend, the way I enjoy the outdoors most often is by fishing. And a lot of times, that involves a boat. I don't know if many of you have spent much time on a boat, but there's a very basic principle of boating, and that is the little checklist that you go through before you actually leave the dock or before you even launch the boat. One of the most important items, this may sound, uh, you know, too simple, but it's not, make sure the plug is in the boat, right? That's, that's important. <laughs> and believe me, people sometimes forget. And there's a problem right away, right? Because it's okay if the boat is in the water, But it's not okay if water is in the boat, right? It's pretty basic, but it's pretty important, right? And with that analogy in mind, the church of Jesus Christ is like that boat. God, in His plan and for His purposes, He has placed us in the world. And we are in the world for a purpose. It's not to fish, well, I guess it is to rescue people, right? To bring them into the boat. And it's fine, even though it's not always fun and it's not always easy in our culture or in society, it's not always easy for us to be in the world. But what is very important for you to realize is you don't want the world in us. You don't want the world in the church, and this is a constant struggle and a constant tension as we live and as we, as we conduct ourselves as a church. The church is to be light in a dark world. But what does Jesus say? If the light is darkness, how much worse for the darkness? So if the church allows darkness to fill us and overtake us, then what hope is there for those who are truly in darkness? Now, we're to be salt So salt is something that you put in there just a little bit, but it brings a lot of flavor out, right? And the church is salt in the world to bring a flavor for God and the things of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does the Bible? Jesus say? if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? It doesn't do anything because somehow it's been so diluted by the world that it no longer has an effect and an impact. And this is a reality for churches. This is why, for example, uh, among if you want to speak a little bit denominationally, which I don't do a lot, but in the Baptist churches, an underlying, and not just Baptists, I'm sure, an underlying principle is that everyone who is a member of the church must be born again and baptized. That you cannot be a member of the church unless you have truly been saved and born again. I'll give you a real simple example. The children of our church are not members of our church. Now, they're members of our family, right? And we love them and we care for them. But until they profess faith in Jesus Christ and and give a testimony that they have been born again, they're not actually official members of the church because... Uh, well, let's think of it this way. The church of Jesus Christ, you know, the church of Jesus Christ is composed of all of the redeemed from the time of Christ until the time He comes again. Many of those people are already in heaven. Many of them are on earth and they compose believers around the world, true genuine believers, compose the church of Jesus Christ. Well, we want to, as much as we humanly possible, we want our local church to reflect the greater church. So that if you're a church, a member of the church of Jesus Christ, because you've been born into the family of God, you've been born again, then that qualifies you for membership in the local church. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me here? All of that is just a a denominational outworking of what the Bible teaches is so important, and, and it's, it's not easy. You know, when uh, we live in the world, we go to school in the world, we go to work in the world, we're surrounded by the world, then the world can infiltrate our heart and our soul, and, and, and that's not a good thing. And it's so important that we as Christian young people, as Christian adults, as Christian parents, it's so important that we realize the, the tension and the battle that we all face. And that we realize deep within our soul, I am a child of God. So that no matter where I am, there is something distinct and unique about me that makes me different than perhaps a majority of the people around me that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. He lives within me. And, and so He is the one who guides me and directs me, not uh, the, the pressures of my peer group, not what everyone else is doing. One of the areas where this really comes out is in the area of morality, sexuality, sexual sin, uh, premarital sex, uh, pornography, all of these fears of sexual sin uh, have, are becoming more and more dominant in our society. So, so that's one more now than perhaps in the past because of the Internet. This is being pressured upon all people, and, you, and Christians are not exempt. And this is an area where we are in the world. And because we are in the world, we end up being exposed to many things. But we are not of the world. We don't live like the world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And so we have to push back against this in our own hearts, principally, but certainly in our church as well. Having said all of that, I want us to talk a little bit about this idea of the harm of sexual sin And I want to give a warning of the dangers of our sexualized culture. And and I want to offer encouragement about navigating these pitfalls as a family, as a young person, as a church. And to do that, we're going to turn in our Bible to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to look at uh, two passages principally. The first one is in Matthew chapter 16. And that's on page 1,131 in the Black Pew Bible there in front of you. If it's easier for you, you can just turn there in that Bible to page 1,131. And that's going to bring you to Matthew 16. The second passage that we'll look at a little bit later on in our message is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's going to be found on page 1,314, page 11. I'm sorry, 1, 3, 1, 4. 1, 3 1, 4. So anyway, Matthew 16, 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read here. And this message, I'm playing a little bit of cleanup here today because this is a message that I started like part one uh, a few weeks ago. And I, part one and two, actually, this is part three. And I promised you guys I would bring this. And so here we are today. I'm trying to complete my promise, my commitment to you guys with this message based on Matthew 16. And we're going to begin reading in verse 13. We'll skip down a little bit in this passage because we have looked at it recently. Here, the eternal, inerrant word of God says in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So some say Jesus was a prophet. He was a great teacher. But that's not enough. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that's, heartfelt testimony, if you can say with all of your heart, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the Christ, the Savior. If you believe that in your heart and you have committed yourself to it, that is being born again, And when you repent and trust in Jesus, you believe that truly, genuinely in your heart and soul, you are born again. You're given a new heart, a new nature, and you are brought into the family of God. And oh, by the way, now you're ready to be baptized and become a member of a local church of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, as a church, it's not healthy to have lots of members who aren't even really regenerate in their hearts. And so we try we try not to let that happen. I mean, churches that have a, a membership and and half of the membership, 25% of the membership, truly don't even truly have a regenerate heart and the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up with all kinds of problems in that church because you have all kinds of people who may be religious, maybe they go to church, but they're not truly born again in their hearts and so they're going to end up behaving in unregenerate ways. And that's going to end up being a part of the life of the church. That's what you want to avoid. And so you, as an individual, have you truly been born again? Are you truly a child of God? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you are, you're going to have to go through this world in a minority. You're going to have to go through this world hearing things and seeing things that are not a part of you and are not intended to be a part of you. And that can be Overwhelming at times. But my friends, we have to make the distinction in our own hearts and our own minds. Do you remember the story of Lot? Lot chose to set his tent, to establish his family too close to Sodom. And because he did that, he brought destruction down upon him and his family. And Lot was a believer. Because we wouldn't know that by looking at his life. We would say, oh, he was religious but lost. But if you read in the New Testament commentary, Lot vexed, that's the old King James way. I don't even know what it says in the New King James, but that just sounds like intense, right? Lot vexed his righteous soul every day. Every day he was living in Sodom, amongst Sodom. He tried to be a part of Sodom. Every day, because he truly was a child of God, he felt convicted. He wasn't happy. He couldn't enjoy it because he knew he was in the wrong place. But the the greater error than all of that was that he raised his children in that environment, and they were not righteous souls. He lost his own family because he chose to live too close to the world. And that's what you cannot, you do not want to do that as a parent. You do not, we do not want to do that as a church. Yes, we are light in a dark world, and we want to be, in a way, in a missional, missionary kind of a way, we want to be in the world, because the world needs the gospel. But on a personal comfort level, it's not fun necessarily to be in the world. It's not easy but we're there on a mission. The, the, the danger is when the world becomes, uh, overtakes us, when they're influencing my heart more than I'm able to influence their heart. That is a recipe for disaster. So truly, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and accept Him as Christ and Savior and God is to be born again. In verse 17 it says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, you are a little stone, and on this rock of a statement that you just made, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that rock, that will be the foundation of my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now... We're going back to this gate of Hades that we've talked about before, because uh, there's something here very significant that I want you to see, and you don't see it by the simple reading of the text. You will recall that I've mentioned before that when you study the Bible, context is king. Who is saying these words? Jesus Christ. Who is he saying them to? The very formative members of his church. Where was he saying them makes a huge difference. And it tells us in verse 13 where he was saying them. He was saying them in Caesarea Philippi. So let me remind us again about Caesarea Philippi. And I think we have a map. You say, Pastor Caesarea Philippi, isn't that a pizzeria over in St. John? I, I know that just sounds, it rings a bell here. No, that's not. that's a different name over there, okay? Caesarea Philippi was a city in northern Galilee. Do we have a couple of slides there? Uh, ma- I'm going to throw up a map here in a minute. And you can see Caesarea Philippi. It was northern Israel. Okay, it was actually on the northern border of Israel. It was in Israel, but it was right near the north. It was uh, way above, let's see, down by the bottom where it says Judea, that's Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Up near the top where it says Galilee, that's the Sea of Galilee, and you can see Capernaum. That's the area, that Galilee area is where Jesus and his disciples spent three years. They would go down to Jerusalem and they went on some missionary tours, right? But that was the hub of his ministry. But if you look on the next slide, Caesarea Philippi is north of Galilee, See where it's at? The very top, right near Syria? It's right on the border. And I don't know if you can tell on that slide, but there's a mountain range right above Caesarea Philippi. And that mountain range is Mount Hermon, and there's snow-covered peaks. And there's a snow melt there that's continual. I mean, to this day, I mean, I've never been there. Uh, Maybe one day I'll get to go. And Ray's been to Israel. And those mount the snowmelt comes down from that mountain, and right in Caesarea Philippi, there is an underground river that comes out of a cave, and it gushes clean water out of this dark cave, coming right out of the ground. And um, and I will show a slide. Let's go to the next slide there. And so this is the cave. They're in the middle, and this river, in Jesus' day, it poured out of that cave. Now today, because I believe because of an earthquake and other changes, uh, it it no longer pours out of the cave. It comes out even lower, but it used to gush out of that cave. And in that place, they, um, I think there's another slide there, they worshiped, in that cave was a place of pagan worship. And they worshiped the Greeks. They, we call it Caesarea Philippi. They called it Paneus. Because in that cave, they worshiped the god of Pan. And, um, and Pan was a, a Greek pagan god. And, in, and he was worshipped not in temples so much as he was worshipped outdoors and in caves. And they believed that Pan, he was a fertility god, they believed that he would come out in spring and he would fertilize the animals, he would fertilize the ground, he would make it bring forth its fruit. And so he was seen as this uh, lust-filled god who would uh, he would... Uh, they believed that there were nymphs, were like these fairy women that would inhabit the cave. And he would come out and he would uh, rape those nymphs. He would seduce, uh, uh, there are Greek statues of Pan seducing young men, uh, seducing and raping women. There is a statue of Pan, a very famous statue, an ancient statue, where he is raping a goat. Now, the God of Pan was half goat and he was half man. He was a brutish figure, strong and brut- brutish, and he, from the waist down, he was a goat. And he was a fertility god that they would, they would gather there. And in these caves around the known world at that time, the, the people who believed in this, they would gather at these caves and they would perform these uh, sexual rituals. Uh, festivals on, on various occasions, but especially in the spring. And according to them, what they were doing is they were calling forth Pan from Hades, from the underworld. And they would call him forth out of the cave so that he would come and fertilize the, the earth in spring. And they would do that They would have these uh, orgy style festivals where they would get drunk and they would play this loud music and they would dance around and they would have orgies even with goats and all of these vile, uh, debauched things would go on and they were calling forth the God of Pan. they were calling him forth from this cave that they called the Gates of Hades. That's what they called it. Because it was an entrance, it was a door into the underworld where the, they would call forth the demons, the demon of Pan and these nymphs and all of this would go on. And they would do this multiple times a year. Now, um, and they would call, when they would build up to these festivals and they would reach its, its pinnacle, they would call it pandemonium, this fervor of this party, this orgy all of the drunkenness, all of the music, and they would call it pandemonium. And it was all about the God of Pan. You say, well, that's horrible, that's terrible. Yes, it is. And this is what I want you to realize. Now, these were Romans, these were Greeks. Were there Israelites involved? I mean, you know, obviously very backslidden, very ungodly Jewish people. I don't know, I'm assuming perhaps what I want you to realize is this was going on within within the borders of Israel. Now, on the fringe, but it was there. And Jesus brought his very young leaders that he was about to send forth into the world to establish his church. He brought them to this place in the region of Caesarea Philippi. It was right outside of town. He brought them to this place, and he, he looked at them, and I'm sure that... This was no place that a faithful Jewish person would even want to go. And they, they, didn't sur- they didn't go up this way. This wasn't a normal route. Jesus took them there on purpose, out of the way to get, to them, get them to this place, and he said, the, even, I'm going to build my church, and even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And... There's there's several applications that we can make from that. Number one is, when we as a church of Jesus Christ feel like the world is overcoming us, we feel like that we're being inundated and and we're, we're drowning in a sea of debauchery and evil. When we feel that way, we need to take confidence in this reality. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail and you can have confidence in that. Now, as an individual local church, we have to be faithful and we have to do our part and we have to be careful and we have to be a a place that is safe and protected, but the church of Jesus Christ will not succumb to cultures and to evil and even to politics, going back to our other message on Caesarea Philippi. Nothing goes on here, Jesus Christ said. He, He took them to the most vile place in all of Israel the most evil place that he could find within walking distance, he took them there and he wanted to reassure them as they go out with the gospel and they have to deal with everything that the Satan can throw at them. He wants them to know nothing that goes on in this place has any part of my kingdom and it will not overcome my kingdom. There's something else, that an application that we can draw from this and that is the fact that the purpose Of the gospel is to storm the gates of evil to rescue those who are trapped by it those who are exploited and hurt from it Jesus is saying we will prevail over demons and the dregs of darkness of this you can be confident and sure evil does not have the last word and and even people that were caught up in this, who were exploited by it, who were abused by it, that the gospel can bring rescue and restoration even to the broken areas of our hearts, and that evil does not have the final victory. You know, sometimes we mistakenly imagine in our mind, and, and there's nothing, you know, it's a picturesque idea that the gospel is, you know, it's for children's Sunday school, and it's for little coloring pictures and little crafts, and it's sugar and spice, and it's everything nice. But make no mistake about it, the gospel is designed to pierce the Darkness, to deliver the most lost and the most vile of sinners and deliver them to the freedom that is found in Christ. And we need to remember that. There's nothing wrong with Sunday school, obviously. You know that. But let's not stop there. Let's not think that that's the whole picture. Sometimes we have this picture of Israel, you know, ancient Israel, and we imagine, you know, sheep on a hillside and Shepherds quietly watching and and there's some women over here gathering sheaves and there's some over here and they're building a little wooden structure or they're sowing their little field and we see this like peaceful uh, kind of idyllic picture of these first century Jewish people. That's nice to think about. My friend, it was not so much that way. The people of Israel were occupied by rude, evil Roman soldiers. The women were raped. The men were beaten. They lived in an oppre- under the oppression of an evil regime. The, listen, the people of Israel lived in an in a almost constant state of fear because of an occupying army. And to them... Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone who follows me, peace I give you, not as the world give I unto you, but my peace I give unto you. And so we look around our world and we, 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 want, to, we want to insulate, and I get that. We want. I mean, obviously, the church of Jesus Christ should be a safe place, and it should be full of safe people. Absolutely, and that's why we have a child protection policy here at Lake Hills. That's why all of our children's ministry workers undergo an application process, a background check, and an interview process, and that's why we have a, a, a two-adult rule where no child is ever to be alone with a caregiver There's, or a teacher. There's always to be multiple children or two adults. Because we have to be, and it is so important that we as a church represent God well and that we are a safe place. That's why we have a rule, and I haven't mentioned this lately, so I'm going to take this opportunity to mention it now, that we have a rule that no child should leave the services like we're having right now. If they're under 11 years old, they should not leave the service unescorted. They need to run to the restroom, please, parent, you go with them. Because these doors are open this we don't know everyone that walks through those doors necessarily and we want to be a safe place and that is as it should be and our teenagers as well and all of that we want to we want to everybody here you keep your eyes open if you notice anything that seems a little bit off you bring it to the attention of a deacon right away or a pastor that's as it should be however we don't want to stick our heads in the sand and just ignore a world that is hurting, a world that is enslaved by the bonds of sin and evil, when we have the key, who is Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to do these things. And, it's, you know, uh, and, and I'll just say that the gospel is designed to pierce darkness. To deliver people from human trafficking or from prostitution or from abuse or addictions. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if we've been the victim of abuse, the Lord Jesus Christ it came to heal the brokenhearted, the Bible says. That was one of his principal ministries. And so if if your heart has been wounded through uh, nothing, no fault of your own, but because inappropriate, sinful, evil behavior was thrust upon you, I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ is a place of healing, and Jesus Christ is the healer of our broken hearts. That's why we're so thankful for a ministry like Mending the Soul, because Mending the Soul, right now we only offer it for women. Uh, it, is a va- it, it exists for men too, but it's basically a safe place where you, alongside of godly, uh, trustworthy women, you can enter into your story and walk through your story with God to find a place of healing. Because that's what the gospel's for, it's not just for children. It's for everyone in all of the hurts of life. That's why that's the value of men's fraternity. In a a different but similar way, it it does the same thing for men. That's why our life groups are so valuable. Because again, it provides, they're intended and designed to provide a safe place where we can uh, be open about our struggles and our hurts and our brokenness and we can find healing through those things. It was St. Augustine. Heard of St. Augustine? Have you heard of St. Augustine? Did you know what you want to know is his full title? This makes me chuckle, okay? I'm not a, you know, a, 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 I don't have a degree in church history. St. Augustine of Hippo. That was his name. his title. St. Augustine of Hippo. I don't know how he got the hippo part, but there it is. St. Augustine said these words. Ah, uh, the, the, the church is to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So it's a hospital. There's work that goes on here. There's healing work. There's surgical work. Getting down to the, like the Bible says, to the thoughts and intents of the heart and the inner struggles of the heart. Getting down in there with the, the scalpel of God's word. The church is to be a hospital for sinners. And, and I, I just I feel compelled to say this, that if you're here today and you have been the victim of abuse and you've been treated badly by someone that you trusted or whatever the case may be, there is things in your life that you struggle with, m- memories that are too vivid and they, they haunt you and, and you wish they weren't there. My friend, I want you to know there there are people that you can talk to in confidence and there is help that is available to each and every one of us because the gospel was intended to do that kind of a work. And the gospel was intended, uh, and just in summary, and I'll, I'll finish here, the gospel was intended to advance in that kind of an environment. Yeah, I never really knew until just the last few months, the whole story of Caesarea Philippi. It's out there. It's not, a, it's not an obscure story of Paneus, as they called it. That's not an obscure story. It's out there. I had never seen it or heard it or read it. But you know what? I think in today's world, in the society we're living in today, it gives me hope and it gives me confidence. The church of Jesus Christ goes marching on. And we storm the gates of hell with the truth of Jesus Christ. We're not attacking people. We're attacking the very demons of hell. Helping our our young people stay safe, warning them about the dangers that are out there in the world, whether it's on the internet or at school or wherever it may be, having uh, important conversations with them, and and whether it's helping uh, adults with the things they struggle with or whatever the case may be. The church of Jesus Christ is to be this kind of a powerful, healing, forward-moving ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together for prayer this morning. I wonder if there's anyone here today, and as I talk about being a part of a church, but truly being born again. I wonder if that word resonates with anyone here today. Oh, my friend, it's important that we examine our own hearts. Am I truly a child of God? Am I living as a child of God? And only you can answer that question. But my friend, it makes all of the difference in the world. The hardest thing, I mean, I think it would be very hard to not be a Christian and trying to live as a Christian. That's a recipe for frustration and um, anxiety and just, you know, a lot of struggle. Maybe, and I'm not judging anyone, but maybe the struggle or the, the disquietedness of your heart, maybe you've never truly been born again. You're a church member, but not necessarily a true child of God. That's an important matter to settle in your own heart. And then again, the bottom line is we all struggle in different ways. But my friend, I'm here to encourage you to strengthen the feeble knees to strengthen your spirit in the confidence of Jesus Christ and in the reality that you have the Holy Spirit and with, with the help of good friends, you can overcome the things that are discouraging you. You're not in it alone. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We're all in this together, working together. Our Father God, we thank you For the honesty and truthfulness of your word, that you have painted a a picture of reality, not life as we wish it were, but life as it truly is. And there's evil in the world, there's wrong, there is damaging sin. but you are inside of us, you are with us, you strengthen us. And I pray that you would help us as a church to be a safe place, but also to be a place that is piercing the darkness with the gospel. Bless us and help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.